everybody and welcome to Mom Your Own Way. I'm Lily Coco and I am so excited about today. My guest is Dr. Kate Lund, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, published author, and a keynote speaker. She has struggled with some medical condition when she was a child, but through her like parents' beliefs who instilled the inner resilience and confidence in her, she's been able to accomplish so much and I'm so eager to talk to her. She's a published author. She was an intern for Bill Clinton. She used to work on the radio. She's and this is one of the big things that I'm excited to talk to her about. Her mission is to instill this resilience, the self-confidence in kids that they can accomplish and do anything, that they are ready, they are self-worthy, they are enough. And through that, they can do anything. I'm so excited to talk to her. So let's just jump right in and hear what she's got to say. Dr. Lund. Hello. I'm so eager. Hello. I'm so, 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 so eager. Before we hopped on, we had a quick conversation. Just this importance of instilling this, I guess, almost love, love of yourself in a kid to instill this confidence and resilience that when they come across difficulties or obstacles to not necessarily fall victim to those but to figure out ways of how to overcome them how to become better how to stand strong how to be confident how to be self-assured and know that you almost to listen to your inner voice when it comes to your confidence instead of hearing and listening to other people's opinions where as I mentioned I fall very short I've I was in a choir when I was little and this teacher told me I couldn't sing and so still now I do not sing. My husband is a great singer. He's really big on like YouTube and he's got his playlists and songs and he tells me I'm a good singer because he's heard it but I will still not sing because I hear that comment in my head and I mean there's many more examples but this just kind of came up and so I'm a big fan of instilling self-confidence in especially my daughter, but kids especially, so then they are not wasting time, let's say, unlearning some of these negative concepts that we pack in our backpacks all day long from other people's opinions. Right. Yes. Yes. Such important points. And yeah. just not to get us off topic, but I got that same message in second grade Ah. I wanted to be in the choir with all of the other little second grade girls. And guess what? They said, nope, you're not good enough. You can't do it. I hate and that. I, and I, I haven't sung since. <laughs> I hate that. Uh, I had another mom on who, mind you, she's an incredible blogger. Right. She is a published author. She just got a book coming out. Mm -hmm. And um, she was told she was not a good writer. Ooh. Oh boy. But she has overcome that, which yes. I highly admire because yes. this is the other thing is that we are given these gifts and talents that want to pour out of us. Right. But when we're faced with this, you can't do this, you're not good enough to do that, we fold in when we don't have that self-confidence to stand against it and we say, oh my gosh, this person's right. Because usually we hold them at a higher standard. They're an authority of some sort. Therefore, we think, mm -hmm. oh, they're right. Oh, they yeah. must be right and I'm not good enough. And then we, especially if it's an early age, we just mm -hmm. say, okay, I give up. I'm going to go do something else. I'm not good enough and I'm going to go do something else. And 
personally, I battle with this every single day. I've gone through, I I've, have experienced, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but uh, a lot of childhood trauma, sexual abuse, um, just a kind of unhealthy, unsafe uh family structure at the very beginning and mm. I didn't know that it was affecting me till I got married and not having my own child where I'm like mm. oh you know what this wasn't right this wasn't right mm. and now I need to clear these things to make sure I have enough energy and I'm teaching the right things to my daughter but every day my husband's so good at this about t- trying to remind me that what I'm doing is great but every day I'm like that wasn't good I didn't do good I'm a failure why did I suck so much and mm. The, the turnaround I'm having is when I hear myself having that conversation, I see my daughter, I'm like, that is not the way I'd want her to talk to herself. Mm. That is not the example I want to be setting. I yes. want to make sure she talks to her. Like, I'd want to talk to her. I'd want to talk to her and tell her, hey, if you didn't, there's no failing. If we didn't yes. succeed to the level that we wanted to at this point, this is a learning step. Right. And let's learn better. There's there's no failing. This is just a try and another yes. chance to do it again better. Exactly. It's instilling that idea of trying again when things don't go, you know, yeah. as planned or as expected. And that's such an important message for our kids, particularly early with your daughter who's so young. It's so it's so mm-hmm. important and it's it's hard to almost capture because kids learn from parents and so the behavior that I'm projecting that I'm showing her is what she's gonna it's not necessarily what I say because I can tell her hey keep trying keep doing this but if she's seen me not do that that's where I think there hasn't been enough conversation because we talk about what we should teach our kids but not necessarily how we should demonstrate it ourselves Right. And that is such an important point, again, because when kids are very, very young, like your daughter, 18 months-ish, you know, you really do want to be kind of modeling the behaviors, right? And and your daughter is very, she understands a lot, socially, emotionally aware for her age, but still, you know, the, the um, level of conversation needs to be developmentally, you know, on par or what have you. So the modeling piece is so key. And it sounds like, it sounds like you're totally doing that, like, you know, really, really well. We're trying to, but I, th- I think one of the steps is because I'm trying to be aware of what I'm showing her and doing, but mm-hmm. it's incredible. You know, they always say kids are like sponges and I'm yes. seeing that in her. One example I had, I was trying to hurry. I was just trying to hurry. So I was brushing my teeth really fast because I just needed to get mm-hmm. the day going. Sure. And then I looked at her and she was brushing her teeth really fast. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> this one small thing, because I was trying to hurry, is showing her that she needs to do it really roughly and really fast. And I thought, in this one example, I'm showing her that her health almost isn't important. Mm-hmm. And that's not okay. Right. That's yeah. not okay for me to do. And I see it in every, if there's a water spill, I'll go clean it up. And now I need to, I need to clean, but I need to step back a little because now any drop, any spill, she's like, clean, mom, towel, clean, mom, clean, vacuum, sweep, sweep, let's sweep. <laughs> and she's this little cleaning monster that I have on my hands. And I want to make sure I'm not giving her like the OCD that I have, but it's, it's these really small moments Yes. And then I just see it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what she learned from it is Mm. 
is she she takes this and she develops this as this lesson. Oh, if something drops, if something spills, we clean. Oh, brushing our teeth is really fast. But that's not, I wanted to clean and I wanted to brush her teeth in a good time. But to think of it at a bigger picture, to take right. myself out and say, I need her to know that her brushing her teeth is important and she should take her time and not be rough with herself. I think that's the big thing there is we shouldn't be rough with ourselves, whether it's brushing your teeth or the way we talk to ourselves or the way we do things, how much we allow time for ourselves. All of those mm -hmm. things yes, are the big important things that are then going to translate. Right. Right. Exactly. And one other thing, you know, it's just like knowing that you're doing the best you can and that things will evolve in time, right? You can't have all the answers. So there's no, there's no perfect parenting manual, so to speak. Yeah. And I definitely have experienced that over time myself. My boys are now 14 and, you know, there were two of them, they were twins. And so I had to kind of just go with it a lot of the time and, mm -hmm. you know, things have evolved and settled and of course bumps along the way and such, but, you know, it's not going to be, perfect upfront, but things will evolve um, in a in a positive direction if you keep that. that modeling and you keep that sort of, um, you know, focus on moving forward. Yeah. I admire moms with multiple kids. I really admire moms with twins, triplets, quadruplets, because I'm 100% with my baby all the time and I get tired by the end of the day when I finally lay down and she still sleeps with us. So I'm with her 24-7. Mm -hmm. And when I think, you know, another kid, there's an age difference. So then the other one kind of starts helping out. They get busier with other things. Right. But two of the same age who need you so much constantly, mm -hmm. I just, I, I'm in awe of moms who are, are doing it and are doing it well and are, you know, proud. I think there's, I love when there's like a pride that comes with motherhood. I, I love moms who are, are proud to be moms. They're excited about it. Yes. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so eager to talk to you about all of this. I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite subjects when it comes to parenting and the effect that it has on the kids because it's not just, oh, I'm babysitting, I'm nannying. Right. We're not just trying to kill time. Our sure. kids are not an inconvenience where we're like, okay, let's just pass the time till they're old enough to send them off whenever. Right. I think there is a an honor in being a parent because yes. you are you are raising the next scientists performers creators and and how will all of that come out and in what way and i think there's this it's true honor to help them along to guide them to find those values to find those interests in themselves yes because if we don't help them it, it, hopefully they'll still get to that point but it might take them a lot longer to bless us with the gifts that they have whether it's writing or painting or or building or uh, whatever yes. it is or, or being a mom and raising new you know like mm -hmm. there's just so much into it but if, if we don't give him that guidance and a clear path it can be easy to get down on yourself and not allow those gifts to come forward right and so right. i'm 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 so eager to talk to you i almost already want to schedule a second podcast <laughs> if you're interested but before we get fully into it more I, i'd love to hear your story uh as far back as you want to go because i think the way we are raised in our childhood mm -hmm. is a big part of how we parent, whether it be very right. similar because we liked how it went or yes. very opposite because we we think 
I didn't like that. I didn't like how that turned out. I'm going to change it. Right. Excellent but, point. Excellent point. Tell me all about you. I'm so, I'm so eager to learn. Yeah, yeah. So, so right. So, you know, I guess I'll, I'll go back to the point when I was four, perhaps, because that's sort of the, the catalyst for my interest in the whole resilience um, concept and why it's become sort of the core or the cornerstone of my work, so to speak. So when I was four, I was diagnosed with a medical condition called hydrocephalus, which essentially means that the cerebral spinal fluid isn't circulating as it should. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when that happens, and it can happen at any time, it can happen in kids or adults or what have you, um, you know, you develop really bad headaches, you get very dizzy, nausea, you just, you know, so it sort of flattened um, my development at that point as a normal, happy four-year-old. Yeah. And it was really, really hard time because it took a long time to diagnose sort of what was going on. Because yeah. I literally had gone from happy, active four-year-old to sick. And was it over day where it was like a switch that was almost hard to determine as to why? I think it was a bit more gradual based on okay. what my parents tell me. Sort of, you know, the um, the uh, cerebral spinal fluid not circulating as it should gets worse at night when you're lying down. So I was throwing mm. up a lot in my sleep and it was just weird stuff, you know, uh. and just not really doing well, not thriving. So finally that was, um, you know, diagnosed and what happens is they put in something called a shunt, which circulates the cerebral spinal fluid that isn't circulating on its own. And so at four, I had that put in. And once the cerebral spinal fluid was circulating, you know, I was able to, to bounce back to relatively a normal space, a typical space. I don't like that word normal, <laughs> typical space for me. Okay. Um, issue is that over time, shunts need to be revised and you know there can be bumps in the road so my childhood was a bit um consumed at at points um mm. by shunt revisions which means a new one had to be put in and long periods of recovery and time in the hospital and stuff like that so you know that was sort of a piece a big piece of what was going on for me but the, the thing to to point out is my parents um, were wonderful in that they made sure that this part of my experience wasn't the thing that defined me. I so I that. wasn't defined as, oh, she's the sick kid. Yeah. Because when my shunt was working, when things were, you know, typical for me within my context, I was good. You know, I was at school. I had the same sort of family-based expectations that say my brother did, you know, take out the garbage, clear the table, you know, make your bed, all that stuff. You know, I, I had to, you know, behave as a typical child. And that was really good for me because it allowed me to see myself as capable, as able, despite these significant moments and periods of time when things weren't typical as defined by a typical childhood because I'd, you know, be in the hospital for long periods of time. I'd be coming back to school with a shaved head and really weird haircuts, you know, just looking different, being like on the outside. Um, so it was, it was a tough, tough thing. But through it, you know, my parents really helped me to see where my strengths lay, what I was good at. I couldn't do a lot of the typical things that 
little girls could do, like gymnastics and hanging upside down on the monkey bars and any contact sports, that sort of thing. Um, but it was kind of figured out early. I don't know how, but I loved, I loved playing tennis and I was pretty good at it. So it was like a safe sport, so to speak, for me at that time. And so I really developed that as a big piece of my identity. And that helped me to connect socially and make some really good lifelong friends who are still in my life today, um, you know, 45 years later. Um, so that is sort of a piece. And so that was the early, early days. And then, you know, I progressed through school and when things were good, things were great. Um, when I hit a bump in the road, we dealt with it. We revised the shunt, we moved forward. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I was 18 that they really figured out why the cerebral spinal fluid wasn't circulating back in the day. Um, and it's a much more um, common thing to find out right away now, but when I was younger, the imaging wasn't quite mm -hmm. at where it is today. So mm -hmm. when I was 18, the MRI was just developed and they had a new contrasting agent and they were able to give me one of those to kind of see and it was determined that I had something called a, a tectoglioma, which is a um, generally very benign, slow-growing um, uh, tumor in my brain, which blocked the aqueduct, right? So that was the core reason for the hydrocephalus. Mm. So there was a bit of a bump there because they went in and they tried to operate on that tumor. And it was a really, really hard, hard thing, hard recovery. Yeah. Um, so that was right after my senior year in high school Ugh. and I took a year off, um, to recover before I went off to college. And I was so, so fortunate because it was a brutal, brutal year, brutal, brutal experience, but I bounced back. I was mm. able to bounce back, get to college and move forward from there. Um, so I've been very fortunate from that point forward. But the thing is, you know, all the way through all of those experiences, the key for me, I think, in developing the ability to move beyond these tough moments, um, because they were tough, was that I had people around me believing in me, mm. people around me seeing or helping me to see what was possible, you know, in these moments when I really wasn't up to doing much, right? Yeah. And that was internalized, and that made all the difference. Oh, there's just so much in there. I There's something to say. I think there's an importance that we need to remember in ourselves, but also in our kids, about making sure we feel competent mm -hmm. as adults, but also as kids, to making sure that as a child, and I think that's what your parents did a really great job of, making sure that you felt competent. They presented you with things that could be a little challenging. Right. But instilling in you that you can do it. Yes, yes. it can be a little challenging. Exactly. There we go. Sorry if I lost you for a little bit. Oh, yep. There we go. Okay, We're good. All We're good. Yeah, yeah. So I love that key of instilling competency 
Yes. I think sometimes we use it as a negative term, almost like, oh, you're incompetent. You know, it kind of gets thrown around. But there's something to say about as children, if we learn to be challenged in a positive, supportive way, Mm we we take that foundation and that's something you talked about at the very beginning that that trying that yes. trying that when something doesn't necessarily go our way especially in this case where right. you're faced with some with an obstacle that's out of your control right right yes yes and it, it's so hard with a child to especially at a young age where the communication's a little bit tougher where it's like you as an adult we can say oh my head hurts it feels like this it feels like this this is how i'm really feeling right plus with the technology we have now but a little bit ago mm-hmm. the lack of technology development plus at an earlier age and as parents i can imagine as your parent you know just not knowing the answers of like okay well our daughter's right. just not feeling well is yes. it a developmental jump Mm-hmm. Is it just something in the diet that's not working? Okay, it's right. repeating. What are we doing wrong? What can we do better? Yes. And having that, we don't want it to be guilt, but it would be guilt as a parent when your child is not feeling well. We just absorb it onto ourselves. Exactly. And I do think that that was an experience that my parents had because yeah. the answers weren't coming. They weren't clear yeah. at, at the at the outset. And so that was very, very hard. So you know, I, I give them a lot of credit for being able to manage that while also kind of helping to instill in me the idea of possibility and, you know, ability within a really hard set of circumstances. Yeah. And you mentioned how you bounce back. That's the name of your book, if I, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Tell my, me more my... about your book. So, yeah. So the book is called Bounce, um, Help Your Child Build Resilience and Thrive in School, Sports, and Life. And so it, it really came about, um, I think, at, at, at a core level based on my own experiences with kind of needing to bounce back. But also, um, you know, the work that I've done for 20 plus years and kind of seeing the issues that come up with people and kids and families and also the the need to bounce back. And then my own kids. Um, mm. I have 14-year-old twin boys. Um, they're very close, very good friends, but they're very different. And, um, you know, one of them um, has struggled a bit with some early reading challenges and a little bit of dyslexia, that sort of thing. And, you know, I had some earlier academic challenges for missing so many, so much school, that sort of thing. So for me, it's always been what is at the core of helping kids to engage and believe in possibility? And mm. so the concepts in the book sort of emerged from that. So I look at um, sort of nine core ideas, which I feel are at the foundation of what it means to be resilient, um, what it means to have what you need to bounce back from challenge. Mm. and. You know, so those are tolerating frustration and managing emotions, really Mm. key at a foundational level. Um, Navigating friendships and social pressure. And Mm. that's a huge piece. And sort of understanding individual difference is a key point within that. And I think helping all of our kids to know and understand what that means is an important piece of being resilient and being able to move forward on all planes. Yeah. You know, uh, focus and attention, um, developing courage, um, 
building motivation mm. and kind of uh, creating an optimistic outlook and sense of optim optimism in your life. Those are kind of the core points that I go through within the context of anecdotal stories along the way. So really I a parent, parent manual. Um, and there's a companion workbook so kids and parents can work through it together or parents can just read it and take what they need or, you know, there are a lot of different, a lot of different angles for it. I want to talk more about developing courage. Mm, yes. When you said that, that just made my like heart tingle and head go, that is very true. Courage doesn't just come. Mm -hmm. It is developed. Right. And there are different steps that we do. Something I like advocate for and try to do with my daughter, although not every time, but mm -hmm. the sense of saying, be careful. Right. And because it, to me, it's, it's vague. It's like, sure. okay, be careful of what? And then it almost right. instills this of, okay, well, I should be worried. I should be, right. uh, you know, concerned. And then another thing is, Kind of sometimes when we say things, we think about things, then they happen. So if we're saying, be careful, you don't want to fall. Right. It's almost like we're, although we don't want our child to fall, we're almost mm -hmm. saying to the universe, God, them, hey, you're going to fall. You know, we're almost building that. So I try to navigate around mm -hmm. how to help her because again i'm trying to do yes certain things opposite that because i struggle with having courage to jump th into certain things because i hear those voices in my mind i hear mm -hmm. the different things and think okay i can't do it it's not going to be good enough what are people going to say which right. i like that other point of the social aspect and how yes. much how much weight we honestly allow other people to have in our lives which really when you break it down doesn't make sense they're not our family most of the time they don't pay our uh our bills they aren't our, you know but we let it weigh on us yes and dictate our decisions right and that often affects that courage to go for something to do something to say i'm gonna be able to do it and so when you said developing courage i'm like that's that's fascinating that's what we should be doing with our kids is because i think that's one of the biggest thing i suffer from and i know many do too is that that fear so uh -huh. the opposite of courage is having the fear that it's it's not gonna go well it's gonna be made fun of right. and all in the list of things that will deter us from pursuing something right and such good points right and all very real and things that we all grapple with sort of across the lifespan, right? And that's one actually important piece to mention about balance in the book is that all of the principles outlined there apply to all of us across the lifespan. It's just mm -hmm. that balance is written from the perspective of the elementary school child because that's where all of my anecdotal stories are, are stemming from. But, but back to the courage piece, it's so, so important for us to kind of set that foundation for courage to develop with our kids, right? Do that yeah. by kind of modeling in our own behavior, by sort of helping kids to, you know, step out of their comfort zone and encourage them to try when they're feeling a little, little fearful, a little like, yeah. oh, I don't know, that's too scary, mommy. But you kind of encourage them to take that first step forward, push out of their comfort zone, and that will help the process 
Yeah. Also, huge point is um, helping to kind of um, build against this fear of failure. Mm. You know, helping them yes. to understand that we're not always going to succeed the first time out of the gate. In fact, yeah. we're probably not, and that's okay. That's that's a, a universal experience, and to have the courage or the ability to understand that, internalize that, and try again. Mm -hmm. You know, that's such an important skill to be learning early. Yeah. So you can look at the sort of the riding the bike situation. You know, I was petrified of riding my two-wheeler at first, probably because of all the stuff, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're going to hurt yourself. Um, but, you know, it was just a big deal, right, to be able to get through that because, you know, that was going to help me get through other challenges. And so my mom put me on this bike and was like, okay, yeah, on a tiny little hill, you can do this, you know, just go for it, you know. And I'm sure she was nervous as well, but she exuded a sense of, you know, confidence that it was going to go well. So, you know, my six-year-old self was able to like get on that bike and just go. And it really made a big difference for me to be able to take that step. And so I think helping our kids to move through those moments of trepidation, yeah. those moments of fear, um, no matter how difficult, and then to try again. Because yeah. there were numerous moments when I fell off the bike and you gotta get on it again and you gotta keep riding. And that can be a metaphor in our lives for so much. Yeah, something you mentioned that really stuck out. There's so many things. I just wanna like talk about all of this. So first of all, I still don't know how to ride a bike. I. I, I don't know how to ride a bike and I think maybe that's yeah. another thing that's stopping me. But something that you had said is that this is these are life skills that we use all along in our life. And I think as we get older, mm -hmm. we actually develop more fear and become less yes. courageous. Yes. Because then certain things stuff start entering, you know, like financial stability, mm -hmm. um, making sure you're liked by your spouse and their family, make sure yes. you're accepted into this tribe community that you have now placed yourself and rooted yourself in to make yes. sure you're making the right decisions for your children. Yes. These other aspects start coming at you and you start taking into consideration where I think often courage really decreases as we get older. And so it becomes mm -hmm. even difficult to change a job, to right. move, Yes. to meet new people, like anything mm -hmm. that would be considered almost easier as a kid. Right. If we don't develop those skills earlier on, they become so much more of a challenge. Right. Later down the line. Another point I wanted to touch upon was the athletics part, because you talked about tennis and joining a team. Yes. I've always admired uh, like even in like my high school, you know, the girls mm -hmm. who are athletes, I always, yes. you know, I did, I also did tennis and I tried uh -huh. to, yeah, I did cheer and I did dance for a long time. Yes. But the girls who were hardcore athletes, I've uh -huh. always admired because they had a confidence mm -hmm. of like a football player, you know, where <laughs> they, they didn't worry about getting ready for school or how they were going to look or what they were going to do. They were just so 
I think maybe because they had that focus of succeeding in the sport that they were pursuing, mm-hmm. they had the back of their teammates and their coach. And so often, if you have a great coach, they become a second parent to you. Yes. yes. And so if you have the, the parents who are encouraging you and helping you practice and develop a skill with the knowledge, because often in sports, and with anything else, like you said, when we do something once, we don't succeed. And I think that's the lesson we should be teaching is to how do we develop the practice yes. of doing it again and again. And mm-hmm. I've, I've admired the athletes because there's this this confidence that's in them right. to, to walk in in any room and they just know it in their head. Oh, well, I've got practice later and I'm really good at three-pointers. You know, I don't yep. even know what I'm saying about sports. Right, but, right. <laughs> and, and when I think about it, you know, we've discussed things about even my daughter. We're like, oh, is she going to like dance or horses or or writing or reading? And in the back of my head, I'm just like, maybe she'll really want to be like a soccer player because yeah. those girls are just... They don't care. They walk in. They can run. They can outrun any boy. And, yeah. and they, they've got that stamina and that tenacity. They're going to run for days. They, they've got it in them. And I think it comes along with that community and that tribe. Because not only yes. is it you independently and hopefully with the help of your parents mm-hmm. who are by your side saying, okay, you're doing great. You're doing great. Keep going. But now it's this community of everybody yes. else. Yes. And usually within sport, the coach will say, you know, oh, this person isn't running. Everybody's got to run. And so it builds this community. And you have everyone behind your back. They're cheering you on. I'm getting goosebumps. Where they're yeah. like, you yeah. are doing this. And you feel alive. And you have that confidence instilled in you. And then that mm-hmm. transforms into your later life. Because yes. you just, you remember and you, you it almost is a practice. Because you take right. a chance you don't succeed and you try it again and you right. try it again and then you maybe you get it maybe you don't but it keeps going and you learn that it's okay yes and it's not a failure yes exactly exactly such such good points and that whole idea of sort of social support you know uh, uh, is so important across domains particularly you know in sports and in developing sort of your um your foundational sort of feeling of confidence and competence and that whole thing. Yeah. Another important point to make, I think, is that, you know, some kids need exposure sort of to so many things before they find their passion. Mm -hmm. And that is fine and okay and important too, right? I mean, you know, my boys have, you know, experimented with numerous different sports and, one of them has found something that he's really passionate about through his school. He's rowing crew. Awesome. And it's really been amazing for him. He just loves it. And my other uh, boy, his twin brother, um, is still kind of experimenting with a lot of different sports and activities and things. And, you know, they're going into freshman year in high school. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I give each of them you know, I tell each of them that where they are is great within the context of their specific sport or activity or what have you. And um, it's, it's, it's a question of sort of finding what the right fit is, finding where you're going to flourish on an individual level, and then using that social component to help bolster all of that. It's so silly. I think I just had a personal revelation of 
of something inner that came out. I uh, I wrote this little cute kids book about a T Rex, and I'm a big fan of promoting strength over weaknesses. And awesome. so, yes, this T Rex, he he's he's you know he's still little. He's just going to school. He wants to meet new friends, but more so than anything, he wants to be on the basketball team. Oh, sweet. It's really sweet, and unfortunately, his arms are too short, and so he can't make the basket. And so he goes home, and he can't figure it out. And then, through the encouragement of his mom, who says, "You know, you gotta try different ways. You, you if you yes. want to keep doing it, you just gotta keep going. And but yes. you gotta try something different." Yes. And he gets angry. He gets angry, and he stomps. But through that stomping, he discovers he's got strong legs that can bounce him, and he can dunk the ball. Ooh. He goes back and just dunks <laughs> the ball. And there's, you know, bull the bully who who's making fun of him and so he says kind of like now he can do it so he overcomes these the social pressures and he he follows through with the encouragement of his mom and I just thought it was a sweet book well, but I now love that book. talking through all of this thing well I just realized like this was me putting through kind of this passion and this idea of maybe perhaps what I wish I had more of instead of what Focusing on what I was lacking and trying to grow my arms longer when I physically can't, I should have been looking at my other strengths, my physical strong legs that instead of everyone who's using their arms, I can use my legs to jump. I can do something else. And it's, I I like the book and the idea, but now I'm like, this, and this is what we talked about, you know, encouraging this like passion to come out of us. And I didn't even realize that how much more important and what it really carries, especially for a kid's book. Absolutely. Those are hugely important points. And right, helping our kids to develop or or to identify their strengths and use them to their advantage and and circumvent the challenges, right? And so that's exactly what this book or your book kind of does. I love it. That is an amazing concept. I love that book. Um, I'm so happy. I love your book and I can't wait to get it. I was also thinking about this idea of the the social acceptance because mm-hmm. as humans we all like to we like to be liked. Of we want to be liked. We want to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to being on a team, when you right. already know that you have this huddle of people who like you, and you yes. have to prove yourself. Like I've seen it at, you know, with the like athletes at our school. If they didn't want to go do something, they had this ease about saying, oh, I don't want to go and do that. I don't need to go and do this. Where right. even as adult now, sometimes when someone's like, you got to come to this birthday party. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to be there. And inside my head, I'm like, I don't even want to go. I, I don't right. want to go. But you 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 want to be liked and you want to say, yes, I'd love to. And and, right. and I'm working on just being able to say, no, thank you. You know, I've got other things and I don't want, you know. Yeah. Um, Not always do, easy, but yes, so important yeah. to develop that. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it also comes, I was thinking more of like um, the juvenile years where, you know, if your friend joins a class, you will also join the class. Right. Right. Which sometimes may lead, you know, if you didn't know you like biology, now you all of a sudden like biology and it's great. Or you only did it because your friend told you to, but mm-hmm. you don't actually like it. And you did it because you didn't have the self-confidence to stand up and say, hey, no, this isn't uh, what I'm interested in. And right. so it's that double sword of that social circle that we have around us and that effect that they have on us on their opinions or their persuasion saying, 
you should do this or you shouldn't do this. You should join this team. Or if you join track, we'll be able to carpool to get whatever, you know, reasons come up. But the effect it really has on us and the importance of those who we surround ourselves with and the kind of effect that they're going to have on us. Yes, absolutely. That's a hugely important point. And it takes time often for kids to develop that sort of awareness, that understanding of, okay, well, where do my strengths lie? Where might I fit best? And sometimes it it um, requires a bit of experimentation as well, right? Of yeah. trying different things. But we're actually going through that right now with, with one of my boys. Um, as I mentioned, they're starting ninth grade next year and they're at different schools. And mm. one of them um, is pretty locked in on the crew front, loves it, loves rowing, has found sort of his tribe there. And my other guy is sort of, you know, experimenting with different areas and different sports and recently um, went to a football camp. And, you know, it was a, a non-contact introductory sort of what will freshman football be like. And he loved the camp, but he does have reservations about himself as a football player right Mm, and you know we have those reservations too because perhaps his core strengths lie in different areas but we want him to be able to assess and understand where he's going to fit best on his own from the inside out because that feels very important to us and so he's really working on that piece you know do I pursue this freshman year or might I think about running or playing golf, which are other strengths of his. So, sure. you know, it's, it's an experimentation um, process that, that needs to sort of unfold over time with guidance, obviously, yeah. from us in terms of, well, think about this or what about that? You know, asking questions, being there to listen. But I think ultimately coming from the inside out to come to a conclusion is going to be important for yeah. him at his age. But it's it's that balance of sort of, letting them explore, helping to guide and figuring out where the strengths, where the liabilities are, you know, or relative challenges are within the context of an individual kid. Yeah. I see it as one of the, one of the bigger parenting challenges because all along we, we strive to help and give advice and and give them the right advice. And then it comes to that time and point and it's different at every age where, Mm -hmm you have to almost be strong enough to say nothing in a way where you give them the strength to make the decision for themselves because it feels right within them, not because they feel like mom or dad are always going to have the answer. I just need to listen to them. They know best, which they do. And we do want to give them that advice and we want it to be right. And we do know them best. Yes. But... We wanted to learn to figure it out for themselves. Okay, so maybe you want to be part of the football team. Maybe not a player, but um, an assistant coach or train. You know, maybe there's yeah. a different part. But you're, you know, maybe there's a different lens or a different, you know. And another thing, I was also thinking, and I want to get your input on this. Yes. But an idea I've been struggling with for quite some time is this idea of don't quit. And so I think often we hear it, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. If you've signed up for the sport, you need to keep going because it's going to keep teach you perseverance and um, commitment and staying. And maybe you just don't know you don't like it until you do. And I'm all for it. But what 
I see on the other end is to me sometimes, and I've experienced this before personally, so maybe this right. is biased. Right. But it's this pressure of doing something that I don't think I like. I'm, I don't think I like doing, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. doing it because obviously my parent knows best. Um, this is in, you know, in, in supposed to benefit me. Right. But I look back and sometimes I'm like, did I waste my time? I know it's not wasting time. I know we learn things along the way. Right. But I'm like one of those kids who loves to experiment too. Yes. Like, There's yes. so many things to learn. Mm-hmm. You could be a farmer. You could be living in New York doing skyscrapers. You yeah. could be a leather worker where you're, or woodworking or just doing anything with your hands or doing something on the computer now and creating this video there's there's this abundance of opportunities and talent and skills and I, I think it's so important to learn the commitment and staying along with something but I I struggle where I'm like is it holding some people back where we're just like we have to tell them don't quit don't quit but maybe it is the right time to quit because the child or as an adult we mm-hmm. already hear it in our heart. This isn't for me. Right. I I learned what I needed to take away from this. Yes. But I need to pivot now. Yes. Uh-huh. So Huge. where, yeah, it's like I, I and I, I'm learning it. And how right. do I teach this to my daughter to, okay, when we start something, we finish it. Third part of this is with the food. I often see this with parents forcing their kids to eat, and that's something that was done to me as a child. And so I'm, I'm very much against that. Where I think we should mm-hmm. listen to our bodies and have forty-seven yes. healthy snacks a day, yes. instead of trying to abide the schedule and making you eat or making mm-hmm. you drink and then not drink before bed and then you're hydrated. Like I, yes. It's so similarly. People say, you know, if you started eating this, you have to finish it. Where I'm more like. You know, if you're still interested, let's put it in the fridge and finish it later. Yes. Um, Having that flexibility, I think, is really vital, really important. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I struggle where, I guess that's the parenting, is how do you figure out what's going to be best? But I'd love to hear your input on this don't quit commitment versus try everything. Right. Well, you know, it, it's it's variable, sort of. It, it really depends. And I think there is some value in, you know, for young kids who want to sign up for soccer, for example, and it's a 12-week course, you know, to follow that through. I think there's there's some value in that. But for things when they're a bit older and maybe they're taking a risk and they're not sure going in and that's clear, there's that awareness, well, maybe I want to try this, but you know, perhaps it's not going to be right for me for this, this, and this reason. If this, that, there's that awareness and that ability to kind of talk through on that level, I think it's perfectly okay to pivot. I like to look at it as a pivot, not quitting, you know, and, you know, opening time and space up for other opportunities. If it feels, you know, through a level of awareness, through discussion with your parents or, or whatever, or coaches, that a pivot makes sense, I think that's totally fine because it does open up other opportunities, right? And opens up opportunity to foster strengths in a way that's only going to be helpful moving forward. And I think 
that principle really does apply to all of us across the lifespan. Yeah. And you hear it in those stories of like, there's this country musician, Sam Hunt, who used to be a big football player and that was going to be his career. That was going to what he was going to do. He got signed, he got going and then he hurt his leg. Yeah. So then you're like, oh, you know, this thing happened. Now I can't do it. But because it happened, he became this insanely amazing musician. Yes. This is due to a physical thing that happened. But sometimes, mm-hmm. or you see it in like movies where it's like, oh, I got to work at my dad's uh, car shop because that's what he did. And that's what I got to do too. But inside of me, I want to be whatever it is. Yeah, and of course. I think something you touched upon, I guess maybe the key is that communication. Because yes. when that awareness arises where we are considering that maybe this option isn't the right thing for us, mm-hmm. I think that's when it is our job as the parent to help them navigate through those feelings and figure out, is this a fear, almost a fear of succeeding, a fear of not doing good, a fear that you're not going to be good enough, but something you actually want to do and your fear is there. And so how do we develop that courage? Uh Or is this your intuition, your inner guide, God, self-awareness, speaking, saying, this isn't the right path and figuring out, which part of that inside of you is actually speaking and which path to then take. Right, precisely. That's a huge point. And developmentally, a child needs to be a bit older to enter into that level of sort of discussion and understanding. And decision-making. And decision-making, exactly. And that's why earlier on, you know, they're four or five, you know, important to kind of follow through that 12-week soccer deal. And if they really hated it, don't sign up next year, you know, that kind of thing. But the process of kind of quitting versus pivoting versus changing gears, shifting gears, becomes more of a complex process as kids get older. And I think it's really important for us as parents to enter into that process of discovery with our kids. Like, Mm. well, why do you want to shift gears? Is it fear? Are you afraid of something? Afraid? Or is there this real true sense that this isn't the right direction for me? Yeah. And what are the reasons for that? And to really be able to explore those questions with our kids is super important. Yeah. I was also thinking it it, it, definitely depend on the family structure and ability also, because often finances come into play where it's like, hey, we just pay for this camp. We just don't have it in our finances to now do dance class and dance school on top of your brothers or sisters doing something, you know, else. Something I've been very uh, determined about she's only 18 months, but something we do regularly, uh, like kids activities where she's working on her motor skills, decision-making, naming things, color, as well as crafts to kind of get her imagination going. So it's not just a cardboard tube. Now it's binoculars. Now it's, you know, something else. And trying to develop and see her interests for free at home. So does she, does she like the ball moving? Does she like to draw? Cause we do a lot of painting, a lot of drawing. So is it it creating here? Is it reading and understanding? Is it play? Is it doing something with her hands? Is it being active outside? Is it being in the water and trying to almost not, not close her in, but to introduce her to as many possible things out there to see if anything kind of catches yes 
Because yes. I think maybe sometimes, at least for me, you know, I was introduced to this one thing. And so, of course, I'm going to go for it because it's the new exciting thing. Yeah. But because you don't know what else is out there, as soon as you see another thing and somebody else really enjoying it, especially right. as a kid, you're like, I got to go do that, too, because yes. that looks fun. Uh-huh. And that that's when it's like a commitment break. It's like, okay, well you're not necessarily done with this. You're just a little more excited because someone else is doing it. And again, that social aspect comes into play where it's, yes. we're so influenced yes. by what people are doing. Oh, and another point, I guess, this is a high topic currently about the social media mm-hmm. and the oh, influence yes. it has over adults. I get right. sucked into it too, where you jump into comparison and judgment when you see people whether it's same age or same demographic or same area, and they're doing something different that may appear or come off as better. Uh, But I think it's so in our faces of our kids. I think we can do a great job as parents, you know, preventing social media for so long. But at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, later on, they're still going to see it. And I think it comes back to that point of that building that self-confidence and resilience in your kid. Yes. To not judge them against somebody else on a screen. Right, precisely. And you, you make a really, really important point. We can, you know, kind of prevent our children from engaging in social media, but not forever, right? And at some point, they're going to be on. They're going to be wanting to connect in that way because it is sort of an important social tool if yeah. used correctly. But you, you, over time, our goal as parents is to help them develop sort of the internal locus of control to sort of modulate their behavior within the context of social media and using it and using it for positive purposes as opposed to, and also to kind of really from the very beginning, and it sounds like you're really doing a great job with your daughter on this, appreciating their own unique individual context. Because Mm. we all have our own unique individual context. And yeah. to really appreciate what that is in ourselves is so important. And it's a message to sort of lay that foundation from the very beginning so that when they get to the point where they're, you know, engaging in social media, they're not going to be automatically, oh, my goodness, my friend is, you know, got this going on and I'm so much better than me and I'm going to sink into a, a, a dark space because I'm upset about it, you know. We really want to help strike that balance, set the foundation for that not happening earlier, you know, as early as possible. Easier said than done. And they're going to be bumps. That's why communication around social media with our kids is so important. Hey, what's going on on Snapchat? You know, what's Discord? What's happening on Discord? You know, that kind of thing. Communication and knowing what's going on. But again, allowing them to engage when they're prepared is going to be important because you know they're going to engage anyway and you want to make sure they have the foundation to do it safely yeah i love that idea of instead of seeing what others have and comparing it to that it's looking within saying what do i have to offer and what are my strengths strength yes absolutely yes something i don't like as a parent and this is you know just personal but it I saw an example of it at the store literally the other day. And um, so 
I was walking with my daughter and she was just having a good time. We're hanging out and this dad had a toddler in the cart mm. and the toddler wasn't very happy. And so he used my daughter as an example and said, see, she's not crying. And I hated that. Right. Because I think that's, it starts right there. If we as parents are comparing our kids to other kids, I know it's to teach this good behavior, but the crying or whatever the situation is going on isn't relatable to my daughter what we're doing. This is a conversation that they need to look within. Is the kid just bored? Let's figure out a fun activity. Let's find all blue shirts. Let's find red shirts. Let's uh, see how fast we can run down the aisle. Is it because they're hungry? They need to pee. They're uncomfortable. Let's switch things up. Of course, there are things that are out of control. You know, the kid wants to leave and you want to, you still need to stay in the store. Totally understandable. Sure. But to put them in a place where they're compared to in a negative way to another child To me, if this was told to me and say, hey, you're not doing it as they're doing, Mm -hmm. I would want to fold in and say, oh my gosh, I am not as good as that kid who's not crying, which then in turn would also say to me, I shouldn't express my feelings Mm. because that's what, as a child, you're, they're not quite fully equipped to fully express themselves. So it comes out either as a whine, as a tantrum, as something else, Yes. usually as a need for attention or some Mm -hmm. sort of resolution. And when it comes to comparing it to another kid, mm-hmm. especially, and I don't know if this is true, but I wouldn't do it for boys because there's this um, cultural thing of like, boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, I hear a lot of mom's wives who are like, oh, my husband won't share their feelings. So I'm like, well, they probably were told to go in a timeout corner, not talk to anyone, figure out their feelings on their own, even though they don't know how to figure out their feelings on their own right? and and are compared to someone else. So of course it would force you to shut down. I think it's more common to see in boys because it's this whole like, you need to be, yeah, you know? Right, that that culture of masculinity type of thing. Yeah, but I think it applies to anybody. And I, I try to often put myself in that place. Like if somebody told me, okay, well you're not doing as this other person, Ah, I'm just showing my best, you know, like (laughs) I was just telling you how I'm feeling and now you're telling me I'm feeling wrong. And And this is like, yeah, yeah, it's this invalidation of feeling, which we we rely on so much and we trust, although our feelings aren't necessarily real and it's what's true is going on, you know, they're often affected by something else. Right. But instead of diving into and figuring out, okay, so why are you unhappy, you know, and getting to the root of it to actually solve the problem, to excuse it on someone else's behavior and compare it, I just, yeah, yeah. I got so sad. I was like, no, don't compare it to us. Like, we just got into the store. Of course, she's not crying. Like, we're going to be in and out because we don't, we don't put ourselves into situations that will cause conflict for that reason. Yes. Oh, but I just, it's. Uh, something that like is a pet peeve of mine when I see that because then we're talking about comparison we're always want to be like don't compare don't judge yourself against other kids but we're almost suggesting it to our kids when we're saying well you're not like that kid that kid's not crying you need to stop crying or that kid didn't get a toy so you're not gonna get a toy and and using other situations other kids other families which isn't appropriate because other families are all going to be different other instances are going to be different I just I struggle in that area where it's... Exactly. And that's true, right? Everybody 
is, you know, all families are different, right? And we all have our own unique context, which is yeah. really important to instill in our kids um, the ability to appreciate what their context is yeah. and how that then will play out moving into the rest of, you know, their lives, so to speak. Um, yeah. To set that foundation early to appreciate one's own unique individual context, really, really key. So, so important. Sorry, oh. I lost you for one second. Yep, there we go. We're, okay. we're there. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, we're back. We were talking about uh, uh, the like the gratitude of the situation and being able to appreciate where you individual context. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Something an example I've seen is, um, you know, when it comes to social media, you see like a perfect picture of a mom and her babies on the beach and you think they have this beautiful life. But then if you actually saw the video of what happens, like they go lay out this blanket, take a picture and get out versus the family that didn't get that perfect picture, but they're on the beach. They are splashing. They are muddy. They yeah. are just enjoying themselves, but you never get that moment captured and we shouldn't be judging ourselves by what was captured and posted versus what was not because similarly like sometimes i've seen uh, moms who say like oh i've watched too much tv with my kid i feel so bad but in the kid's point of view maybe that day you didn't feel like you did as good of a job as a mom but your kid's probably saying like i love watching this show with my mom yes. i love spending time with my mom and i am so happy that we got to do this together and just relax and tomorrow we'll play and do all these things yes but it's that 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 bonding and the, the gratitude of okay we're just spending time together and i love you and i care for you and i like you and i love being with you and i think what yes. you do matters and i think you matter and i'm proud of you exactly those are the moments that those are going to be the core memories that exactly and that's it and to set the foundation in that way without that comparison without yeah. that judgment that we're not good as good as because really the perspective is that you know that that perfect picture on Facebook is a moment in time. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of described what happened when the blanket was laid out five seconds later. And so yeah, keeping that perspective of that is a snapshot in time and looking inward, well, we've had our own snapshots in time that are completely epic. And, you know, just really keeping that balance in mind is so, so important. I love that. Dr. Kate Lund, I've absolutely loved talking to you. I'm getting the notification that my daughter needs me, so I have to get going. Yes. I absolutely love talking to you. I, if you want to schedule another podcast, I'd love to talk to you again. We can talk about different points in your book or other aspects. I mean, this is something I'm so passionate about, and I'd love to share it with more people. Um, sure, I would love that. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I greatly appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Is there a place people can go and get your book or come and find you anywhere they or need to reach you if they need to, if you want to disclose any of that? Uh, sure. You know, my book is available on Amazon. Um, there's a companion course on a platform called LearnDesk. Um, folks, if they want to, um, you know, contact me directly, can always shoot me an email because I'm still working on my, on my website. Okay. Um, my email is drkate at drkatelund.com. So that's always an option. 
Perfect. And I'll include that in the description. So anyone who wants to get a hold of you or talk to you further about it or maybe do more podcasts or anything like that, they can get a hold of you. What a beautiful conversation. I mean, I'm just like, you know, you sometimes you have those moments of like clarity and inspiration Mm -hmm. and like almost like weight off your shoulders, kind of feeling that I'm doing okay. I think maybe I'm doing all right that's how i feel i'm so thankful for this conversation because i think these are the points that if we can share with more parents Mm -hmm. yes it'll help them and in turn will also help kids and we can help raise this amazing confident new generation of kids who are inspired and ready to create in whatever form that looks like whether it's athletics or writing or performing or drawing whatever it might be but having that self-confidence and resilience that you talk about and i'm going to get your book because i'm so eager to read it i want to dive deeper into it um and do the the little worksheet with it as well wonderful wonderful well i so appreciate it lily and thank you so much for having me on and absolutely Look forward to to coming back at some point. I would love to have you on. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Excellent. You too. Okay. Thank you. I will. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you, everyone. And that was it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.